Hello there, fellow traveler. Welcome to American Road Trip Talk, where we introduce you to the fascinating people and places behind each edition of American Road Magazine. I'm your host, Foster Brown. Today, we wrap up our coverage of the Gangland Fall issue of American Road Magazine. This is part two of our interview with Lieutenant Mike Klein, quartermaster for the Berrien County Sheriff's Department, who is the keeper of the submachine guns used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. During this concluding interview, Lieutenant Mike reveals how the examination of the guns used in the bloodbath became the key to launching what we now call CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. Our guest has a fascinating story about an assassin with the heart of gold. All that coming up in just a moment. Before we get to our interview, you're invited to celebrate Mardi Gras in Louisiana's Main Street communities during February 2012. For detailed information on all the Mardi Gras happenings in Main Street communities across Louisiana, watch for the events calendar at www.louisianamaintomain.org. Coming soon. By the way, if you like this podcast, be sure to visit us at AmericanRoadMagazine.com to preview the digital edition of our magazine. In part one of our interview with Lieutenant Mike Klein of the Berrien County Sheriff's Department, we talked about the weapons, the Tommy guns that were used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now we're going to pick up the conversation with him as we talk about how the evidence, the guns, and the bullets led to the beginning of the CSI and about an assassin with a conscience. After this event, uh, and uh, we we put it out over the wires, uh, you know, we're looking for Fred Burke, uh, and in the process we got a return uh, call from Chicago PD who asked, you know, said, hey, we know who Fred is. Uh, he's worked in the Capone organization, and we'd like to we'd like to investigate with you. But we also have this guy at Northwestern University named Calvin Goddard, who is basically at at the time he is the godfather of ballistic sciences he has perfected the the, the science of that you see oh, every night on csi we yeah. take it for granted now but this guy uh calvin goddard is the one who set up basically one of the first crime labs dedicated to basically you know fighting crime in the united states i'll be dying and uh they they had him set up uh, chicago had him set up uh, at northwestern university uh they asked us if we'd bring over the guns and a bunch of other things to because he could do this scientific uh, ballistic comparisons and they wanted to see if the guns had been used anyplace else and lo and behold we take the guns over uh calvin goddard does his testing and uh uh, confirms at that time that these are the two guns um that were used that day um the two thompsons uh, 2347 is the one serial number that one uh fired uh, 50 rounds and 7580 the other the serial number on the second one fired 20 rounds and there was that's the total of 70 rounds wow. of uh, 45 caliber ammunition that they dumped Whoa. into these guys at Whoa. Clark Street and uh, nowadays we take it for granted the CSI which has had so many incarnations now is not funny but this is where it really began with this fellow Goddard and the case that was in Berrien County there he then was able to match the bullets i understand between those weapons yes. and the ones that were used in the St. Valentine's Day massacre that's fascinating so St. Berrien Berrien County and the Chicago PD were involved in this uh, through this case and and some of the beginning works of uh, the crime labs and the the CSIs as you said that we do nowadays when i do my presentation these, yeah, these guns were used in a terrible way. They, they killed seven people in Chicago in 1929. But what they did is they gave Calvin Goddard his first huge publicity as far as what he was doing with ballistic oh. forensics. 
And the, the, the thing that they did is they gave him his springboard to success. I'm sure he would have gotten it eventually, but this was the, the time when the light was shining directly on him, and he used it to full advantage, got lots of funding, started teaching other departments and people about what he was doing. Uh, the first lie detector is invented out of his laboratory at no Northwestern kidding. University. Wow. Um, he starts bringing in uh, J. Edgar Hoover, starts sending FBI agents to be taught by him. They go out and they start all the FBI crime labs that we still utilize to this day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it all stems from Burke being intoxicated yeah. and shooting Officer Skelly in downtown St. Joe. Remarkable. Otherwise, who knows if we ever yeah. we ever find these guns, if, if anything's uh, ever tied back to the St. Valentine's Day massacre. And I'll also say this is, no one was ever convicted of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. There was a lot of people that were questioned, but to this day, it's one of the longest unsolved murders in the United States. At the end, the fellow who was the killer, Burke, tried to make some kind of amends to the uh, your, your police department there and also to the family of Officer Skelly at some point. As it goes, uh, when he when he after he shot Officer Skelly here, he fled the scene. We lost track of him. He, he ends up being caught about 13, 14 months later, down in Missouri, because uh, back in the time he had, it, what this did is it made him um, enemy, uh, you know, public enemy number one, so to speak. Mm-hmm. His, his name and and uh, pictures, mugshots were posted everywhere. Um, he was hiding out down there. I'm sure. Uh, not only from us, but also from uh, Capone's organization, because he had information that could do damage to, to Capone's organization. Oh, absolutely. What normally happened to these guys is that uh, they, uh, if they even thought that they were going to be, uh, you know, implicated in something, and the police were looking for them, they would just rub them out and be done with them and go get somebody new. But uh, he's captured down there. He's extradited back here to St. Joe. Uh, he stands trial, and in one of the comments they, they asked him during his trial, he said, you know, why did you shoot this young man? And he said, I'd never have shot that, you know, that young man if I hadn't been drinking. Oh, wow. Uh, that was one of his downfalls that day is that uh, he's usually pretty wrapped pretty tight and had his act together, but he had been drinking quite heavily that day and didn't make the best of his decisions. And um, he uh, later on he, he's sentenced, sentenced to prison. Uh, life in prison. We didn't have the death penalty in Michigan at that time, mm-hmm. uh, or do we now? But uh, he goes up to Marquette State Prison up in the UP, and uh, he's a model prisoner. Uh, he sends Christmas cards back to the sheriff and his wife every year, um, <laughs> saying that I, I, if I had met people like you at a younger uh, age, I, I might not have led the life that I did. Um, oh, no kidding. He, uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he never caused any problems when he was in prison. Actually, when he died there in 1940, he was such a, uh, he was a hardworking person. He worked in the leather goods shop there in prison, and actually when he died, he had $9,000 in his uh, prison bank account. Yeah, what an incredible turnaround in his story. So, Mike, let's come back to present day. We're talking with yeah. Lieutenant Mike Klein, who was a quartermaster with the Berrien County Sheriff's Department. Includes a lot of duties, but I understand you now uh, travel around with these weapons, which are available for people by appointment to see at the Berrien County uh, Sheriff's Department there in southwest Michigan. But you also travel around with them and use them as an educational tool. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I've been blessed with, uh, with the acquaintances and people that I have met over the years uh, that have uh, filled in the blanks, and the, the, I, I refer to them as the experts. I'm just the sponge. I listen to them tell their stories and and things that they've spent many decades studying, and, and I just kind of 
built this whole thing into a, a traveling educational program. I give probably about 50 or 60 presentations a year. Um, it's about a two-hour spiel that I can do. Um, it, uh, it, it, I do it for high schools and colleges and historical groups. Uh, I've done many different uh, organizations, uh, the Ohio Gun Collectors Association, just about a, yeah, about three weeks ago down in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Thompson Association, another group of uh, Thompson collectors, are a pretty annual uh, uh, gig for me, so to speak. Uh, have huge interest amongst them, obviously, because they're Thompson collectors. Wow, that is fascinating. Mike, have you had a chance to fire the weapon itself what's what's that experience like um oh yes i've i've, I've fired uh, probably uh, thousands of rounds through these things I've, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, many different production companies the history channel discovery channel national geographic uh, cbs sunday morning news uh histories mysteries um that in contrary to popular belief a lot of people think that these guns you know kick and, and it'll hurt you know pound right hard. that's what i would think um, yeah they really don't. Uh, my 12-gauge shotgun will hit you harder than this thing 10 times um, Wow! as far as the recoil from it. What right. gets it is because when Thompson and Colt designed these things, they fired at a very high rate, about 850 rounds a minute. Whoa. And it's that cyclic action of the bolt going back and forth that causes a gun to ride up, um, the barrel to come up somewhat. But uh, with, with enough practice, uh, you can become very proficient and very accurate with these things. I've oh, done a boy. number of different competition shoots and seen some people do some amazing things with these guns. Yeah, that's why it has, uh, and with the Tommy gun, I noticed that it has the handle on the front, not to keep it down as it yes, was yes, being those, fired. Those original Model 1921 Thompsons were designed with that. In fact, that, that was the design for that grip in order for you to be able to kind of nudge that down and pull it down when it wanted to start to rise up. It's, astound- it's an astounding weapon. It was, as you said, kind of a space-age type thing uh, when it happened. It was revolutionary as a weapon, and it was also revolutionary in the sense that it provided the opportunity for forensic sciences to take off with Dr. Goddard in Chicago. Mike, I want to thank you very much for spending a very generous amount of time with us. You can tell you're a teacher, and I appreciate your taking the time to do that. When people come to Barry, they can make an appointment, apparently, to see the weapons and to get their hands on it? Uh, yes, uh, given enough uh, uh, notice. Um, like I, I, I tell a lot of people, I, I can't quit my day job just yet. You know, I, I do have a, <laughs> other responsibilities that I have to take care of. But uh, this is one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with by my, my boss, Sheriff L. Paul Bailey, that uh, he sees these as an educational tool. They're pieces of history. Um, they're America's history. They're Bering County's history. And uh, to share them is, is what they're here for. I That's mean, wonderful. I'm blessed that we've had a long line of sheriffs that have seen that uh, to keep these things and not uh, pawn them off or, or give them away or do whatever they might have done with them, that we yeah. still have them here, 80 plus years later. Mike, I want to thank you very much. Lieutenant Mike Klein with the Berrien County Sheriff's Department in Michigan. Thank you so much for spending your time with us here on American Road Trip Talk. You certainly have filled in a lot of blanks here, and uh, I would encourage folks to, again, get the fall issue with 2011 of American Road Magazine, and take a look at the article about the St. Valentine's Day guns. It's at the head of the Gangland Getaways article. Mike, again, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this American Road Trip Talk, and will Join me each week for a new interview from the American Road. By the way, if you like these podcasts, then you're just the person who should subscribe to the digital edition of the magazine. Go to AmericanRoadMagazine.com, click on the Preview Our Magazine tag, and you'll get a nice sample of the digital layout 
and an opportunity to sign up for electronic delivery of our next issues. While you're on the homepage, check out our blogs, trip suggestions, special deals, sweepstakes, and so much more. You can even friend us on Facebook or tweet us on Twitter. (laughs) Till we meet again on the American Road for another Trip Talk, this is your host, Foster Brown, reminding you that the joy is in the journey. Thank you.